0: It's been said that nothing is more financially educational and entertaining than the total financial hour. Except, possibly, two total financial hours. <gasps> you don't mean... Yep. The total financial hour with host of Hallaby is now two hours. Sundays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Oh, my gosh. Great Scott! Learn about your financial power. The total financial hour. Uh, two hours. With host of Hallaby. Sundays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Here on AM870, The Answer.
1: The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc.
0: Strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategies. Learn from. Hey, welcome to the
1: show. Halloween. I'm Eric Halloween, The Total Financial Hour. Thanks for being with me this time of the week. I love the Sunday morning shows uh, because we're just coming out of church. It gives us a chance. Uh, I love my show being at 11 o'clock because it gives us a chance to to go to church and come back out and spend some time with you, and, and it's a, a fun experience, and I'll tell you why. Because I think most of you uh understand that what the government does, what the state does, the rules, the laws, the things that are changing every week, every month sometimes, it seems, how that impacts you and certainly impacts your retirement. Well, I think part of what you want to understand is that the rules that are across the board are sometimes a distraction. That means every time you see somebody running and and screaming and and down in one direction, I I don't know, this balloon thing is certainly uh, an embarrassment, an embarrassment to us as a people but probably just as embarrassing if you were to vote for your uh, or, or to care for your cert- certain Super Bowl team. And, and then they, they fall on their face. You feel bad. You feel ashamed. You, you take off their outfit. Sometimes <laughs> you take off the hat. You're like, oh, how did we blow that lead at the fourth quarter? But the real embarrassment, the real shame, if you will, are the people that were on the field. Well, the people on the field in this story is the Biden administration. What an embarrassment to be an Air Force general. What an embarrassment to be uh, the Secretary of Defense. Uh, I mean, they're the ones that are on the field that blew this call. Certainly Biden. Biden doesn't know what he wants. Just give him a warm cocoa and a a nice little Afghan across his his lap, and I think he'll be fine. As my wife would say, it's not a shawl. It's a wrap. Well, with Biden, it's a shawl. right? It's for older people. He's got a shawl around his shoulders, a a little hot cocoa. And you you understand he has dropped the ball, but he doesn't even know what he's doing. He doesn't. I told you, and I still commit to this, uh, maybe until the day before, if I'm wrong. But by Labor Day, he won't be president anymore. By Labor Day, I think he's going to step down. I think there's enough uh, there there. I think there's enough smoking guns. I think we're going to ultimately find the answer. That he's going to step down, maybe it's impeachment, maybe it's, well, it's for the health and I want to spend time in my final years with my family, right? It might be something like that. Then in a few years, it's a miracle cure and he becomes a statesman, you know, in his little uh, $20 million house or whatever it would be at the time. I don't think he's going to be... Now, you say, oh my gosh, Sheriff, what does that mean? That means maybe Kamala Harris is going to be president. Both of them are socialist. Biden is an opportunist. I don't think he's a socialist. I think actually Kamala Harris is also an opportunist. I think she doesn't believe what she says. Look at her. Right? In the police department, when I spent nearly, uh, well, ten and a half years on the Los Angeles Police Department, part of the thing you get really good at is telling when people are lying. If you guys know police officers... Right? It's like the kids can't lie to their dad. It's the, it's the same thing. Moms, you know your kids. You've known them since the day they were born. You can tell when they're not telling the truth. When it comes to strangers, police officers are pretty good at that. Police officers get it. They say, you know, there's something wrong here. There's something not right. And we know that. And when we know that, we know that Biden is, is uh, beyond incapable of handling what he's doing. He just is. When his daughter comes out with the diary, and why isn't this being put with this whole Me Too movement and the, and the child molestation stuff that's going on with, with uh, Jeffrey Epstein, why isn't this put on TV? That his own daughter accused him of sexual improprieties in a shower? In her diary? Why aren't, why aren't there hearings held? Why isn't somebody sitting around and saying, look, is this fantasy? Is this real? Can you answer these questions? Let's find out. Because I think things like that are going to ultimately lead. That's why he's so grateful the Senate didn't didn't switch parties. Now, you're going to probably get a couple of folks that would switch parties, which could change the makeup. Right? Arizona senator, West Virginia senator. You might get a couple of them switching parties. We'll see. But I believe what you'll end up with at the end of the story is the same people pulling the strings behind Kamala Harris. Now she understands two things. She understands the way that the Intelligence Department and the infrastructure took down and attempted to take down, if you will, President Trump. So I don't think she's stupid enough to try it again. I think she'll go along and get along. Right? You're either you're either, you know, a company man or a company woman, or you're not. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. What does that mean for your retirement? It means Their goal is to take money from you, not to give it to the the poor people. That's not what they want to do, right? The objective of this diversity, equity, and inclusion is a scam. It is a fraud. Either that or 50 years of education in the United States with the theories and philosophies of Martin Luther King and many, many others were a fraud. You can't have it either way. You can't have it both ways, right? Either the Thomas Jefferson... Uh, idea of all men are created equal which was laying the foundation to ultimately be one of the only countries to ever free slaves, certainly the first one. Ban it, create opportunities for those that were enslaved just you know, relatively se- uh, speaking historically and putting together an enormous country, a patchwork of cultures and ideas. Right, that was only possible because of somebody like Thomas Jefferson and the other founders and the writers. Right? And then the last, say, five, maybe 10 years of this DEI and uh, the affirmative action was the first kind of direction down the road of minimizing and diminishing the value of an individual. You can't tell me that if you hire somebody because of their race, that everybody else, including that person, are going to sit in a room and tell me that they deserve to be there. They might. They might be the best candidate. But when you put a blanket of uh, of phoniness, right, that people are hired because of things they can't control, then suddenly the person in the room or the captain or the chief of police or the senator or the governor, right, when somebody is elected because they're a woman or because they're uh, half Arab, Right? That's, that's my family. Or because they are somebody who, who runs down this road of trying to uh, you know, identify as a squirrel or a, a furry or, or a female when they're male, whatever. They all have the same level of ridiculousness. And you have to have that in your ideas, in your mind, because all of this baloney that they've been telling you for years, which is very simple, by the way that you have to give somebody something for something they couldn't control. So affirmative action was one of them. Now they're talking the first female ever to lead the first male. Is that not the most racist thing you've ever heard? The first black female to ever, but isn't that, aren't we supposed to be like, this is the best candidate for the job? Wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you say this is the best person for that job? Or when, It doesn't have to be the best. Let's just say one of the top 10. You know, we can get close. But instead, what they do is they minimize people so that their effort, their choices, the decisions they make, the effort they put in is secondary to something that they can't control. Right? If you're one that believes that being gay is, is an innate thing from the, from the womb, then that's something they can't control. Right, Because it, it's by their definition is what it is. So what does that mean? It means you shouldn't give somebody a job because they're gay. You shouldn't recognize it. You should just say, hey, this is a person who does a pretty good job. In fact, they're one of the best for the job and we're going to hire them. Why do I bring that up to you? Because California is pushing this reparations. And we have spent decades, decades, maybe even a century, but certainly you know, 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years. Hiring people because of their race for city, county, government jobs, state jobs. Go to any department. I don't know. Pick a department. DMV, parking enforcement. uh, I don't know. Go go pick a job. And you'll see a predominant one race, maybe even one gender. And then you're going to tell me that you're not going to credit back the effort, right? Somehow they've come up with two two $255,000. i will tell you what will happen if that actually takes place. Number one, is because those folks have zero financial education. I don't mean the rich ones. The rich ones shouldn't be given anything. Oprah Winfrey is a descendant of slaves. She should be given money to the reparations. Tons of people. Some of these folks were born in the Caribbean, had nothing to do with the United States. Kamala Harris, nothing to do with the United States. Raised in Canada, what does she know about the, the plight of the African-American woman? Uh, I don't know. Right? Hurt me. I wish I had half of her career. So so tell me that, that she suffered. I, maybe she did. I, I can tell you. I'm sure people called her names. Guess what? They called me names, too. I'm sure people bullied her. Guess what? I was bullied. And probably you. And I'll bet somebody called you a name. And somebody took your ball from the playground. So what are we supposed to do? Give you what? I don't know. Something. So here's what they're going to do. They're going to do the reparations. They're going to tax you. As I've mentioned before, they have to tax your property. They have to tax your real estate. I don't care if you have Proposition 13. It's irrelevant. Here's why. What can you take out of the state? My job. What can you take out of the state? Your retirement account because you're going to move if you move. But what can you not move out of the state of California? Your real estate. And when you can't pay the exorbitant amount of taxes, it becomes foreclosed upon and becomes California state property. There's conversations that happen all over the place. Some of them are, hey, in the next 50 years, there will be very little ownership of private property because government that has the ability to tax it will continue to raise taxes on it. And what they do or will do is use that to encumber, put a lien on and ultimately take your property. So if you have property in the state of California you have proposition 13, oh yeah 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 listen. Whew, we're not gonna raise taxes. yay, we'll vote you in. But we are going to do this assessment and this assessment, you know it's it's an assessment to you racist. you were racist. so we, we need an assessment to make sure you say sorry. So we're going to take money from you each and every month because you benefited from a racist society. I can't remember when I was sleeping in my car, right, in between jobs or or in the school parking lot because I was going to school and then I couldn't go anywhere else to, to sleep. So I'd sleep in my car because I was working overnight. Uh, I didn't feel too privileged, just so you know just so, nobody gave me scholarship money i didn't get a grant because my great great grandfather was you know was forced to come to this country i didn't get a scholarship i didn't get my room and board paid for maybe you did maybe okay good for you but you're going to go to those people that that picked themselves up that fought through all the negativity the bullying and all, everybody's had and you're going to tell them now you have to write a check to the guy who slings dope on the corner? To the lady who, who has children, four children from three different guys? People that have made decisions, choices. You're going to tell me that those people are different than these people? How about we just call them people? How about we just say human beings? God came to this this, this earth, if you're a believer, and said, people are equal. Surprise. Now we have human beings on this earth that should all be treated with love. You you have to help people. You're going to go to a homeless person down on Skid Row and say, because of your race, here's (laughs) $250,000. They're going to have to take your property, your real estate. Zero question. It has to happen. So what do I think they're going to do? I think they're going to do that. And the moment that money gets right back in the hands of people who don't know how to handle money, right? It's like saying, oh, but you have a driver's license. Here's a new Ferrari. You're 16 years old. The only thing you've ever driven is a little four-cylinder car, little four-door. So here's a 600-horsepower Corvette. Here you go. You, you, really? You're going to give that person? But it's a car, has four wheels. Do you not think that they're going to crash that in the side of a wall somewhere or go off a cliff? Of course they are. So you're going to say, oh, this person has handled money before, so we're going to give them money. This person is a human being. They have a job. Here's 250000 How quickly do you think they're going to hurt themselves? How quickly? I think six months, the money's gone. So who will benefit? And, and let me share this with you. The educated people, and I use that word so loosely, but the informed people, maybe that's a better word. <laughs> what do they think? They know the money is not going to sit in anybody's bank account and be invested for the future and, and buy rental property and invest in that bakery and that small business and that and shoe repair store. They're no, they know that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. There's already mechanisms in place. There's uh, farm loans. There are small business administration loans. There's already money available for uh, uh, favoring minorities, favoring women. There's already money available. So if you think giving somebody $250,000 is going to give them the opportunity to go out and now start their future, there's already money available for that. So what will they do? They'll blow it on cars. They'll blow it on rims. They'll blow it on stereos. They'll blow it on drugs, some, right? Blow it on clothes, jewelry, watches, air. That's so stereotypical. Well, let me just tell you about my experience. So I would be a police officer in Cadillac and La Cienega, Venice area, Van Nuys, uh Panorama City. I, I can give you many places. And you would go into these folks' homes, some of them, and you could always tell a classy person. They lived in the same apartment building. You'd walk in. And there would be a grandmother there with maybe two or three or four of her grandchildren. Spotless. The children, polite. Not a speck of anything on the floor. Maybe they were complaining about something or they had something stolen. We were there. Kids were well-mannered. Nice. But the carpet wasn't new. The walls weren't freshly painted. But they had respect. Respect. They were renting. The woman had class, the man had class. Now you'd go into that same apartment building four doors down, and there would it's <laughs> gonna gross some of you out. I'm sorry if you're eating lunch. There would be cockroaches climbing on the table while the child is sitting there in front of a television eating cereal. And you would see cockroaches everywhere. I mean, it was it was unbelievable that it was a normal thing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you can't imagine it. There was a, trash all over the floor and and the piles of everything everywhere, but a brand new television. Brand new speakers. In fact, a better TV and better speakers than I ever had at that age. And I had a job. And you would look and the car in the driveway had brand new wheels, an amazing custom paint job. So you see, it isn't about giving poor people money. It's about giving poor people education, no, financial education, because you can flood the system with money called PPE, called all this free government money over COVID, all these checks people got for just existing. You can give them money, welfare, snap, snip, sniff, whatever you want. You could give them all that stuff. But if you really wanted to change them, and let me tell you the quote, educated slash informed people, know it. They know that if you give people money, they will turn around and spend it in their friends' businesses. They will spend it in their owners, uh, their companies that they own stock in. They will spend it in other places. They will not benefit themselves, their friends and their families that are the poor people, but only themselves, their friends and their families' businesses. That's what they'll do. They know it. Spend a day on a ride-along in any law enforcement agency in a bad part of town. And you can see there are classy people and there's no classy people. And race has almost nothing to do with it. You've got to understand this because what they're trying to do is to say, oh, it's not equity. Oh, it's not income. Income, equity, and redistribution. I'll say, tell you what, how about get up off your tail distribution? How about income says, go get two or three jobs? Let's be equal on two or three jobs. There you go. You get two or three jobs and now I'm going to start talking about Maybe we should give you a hand. But when you work three or four day, uh, days a week, right? People are trying to do this four day work week. We need four day work weeks. And you go, uh, what are you going to do the other three days? Well, if you know, I'm going to go to the libraries and, and research at museums and I'm going to travel, take my children. To, no, you're not. No. Because who you are hasn't changed. What you do has changed. You see, my goal is to change the who you are so that when you win the lotto, get an inheritance, get your free government money because of your race that you couldn't control, right? That at least you'll do something good with it and not blow it on junk. But that's exactly what the left knows. They know they will not educate you. They will not teach you. They want you to work for them And to sit in a corner, because you see, there's never, ever a solution to change your race. Never. There is never an end to the story. See, it used to be the end of the story was we want to get a, if we had a black man as president, and then we got a biracial man as president, it's fine. It's amazing. And in fact, they're the most hated group in the racist Democrats. Did you know that? And so Barack Obama's president of the United States. Uh, If we only had a black man in Supreme Court justice, well, gosh, we had a lot of them. Clarence Thomas is the latest. If only we had a... Well, we started... That has an end to it. That has a beginning, middle, and an end. And we've achieved those things. A female black vice president. We've achieved those things. So they have to create something that never has an end. Otherwise, they have to shut down their business and go do something else called race baiting. That's the business. Right, Called uh, Al Sharpton, don't pay my taxes, I owe millions, give me more money kind of a guy. That's the Al Sharpton, right? Th- those guys, the race baiters, the guys that hate you for something you can't control. And if you don't self-deprecate, call yourself names, say, oh, I'm such a, such a loser, I'm such a bad guy for things I couldn't control. So they have this thing that you can't touch called the system. And then they take your money. So when you're ready to retire and you're going to say, and now I've saved up all my money. And then you look over your shoulder. What do you mean a new tax? I didn't plan for that. What do you mean? I have a new expense that wasn't. What, what is that? Suddenly life changes, doesn't it? You thought you could live very comfortably on 5,000, 7, 8, 10,000 a month in income. Surprise. Not if you're going to stay in California and not if you're not black. You've heard me say this before, guys. The largest slaveholder in the United States. Female black out of Louisiana. Hundreds. At least over 100. might be 180, something like that. More than 100. 150, 180. So, get away from this narrative. These guys are racist. I don't know if I can say racist pigs, but I just did. So, I hope I could. And their goal is to take your money and to get you to divide and hate other people. Don't do it. Don't do it. God died for everybody. Christ died for everybody. I don't know if that's a surprise to you. But it isn't to me. They're going to do this reparations. They're going to separate people by race. Because that's a thing that can never end. And that's a business. It's a machine for them. You have to protect your income. In my opinion, you have to have income that can increase over time, whether it's turning on different retirement accounts, whether it's turning on your own uh, uh, rental properties, whether it's increasing your pension, uh, you have to do something. And there's such a small group of these violent people, both with rhetoric and physical, that if you stand up, To them, If you stand up and you push back, if you stand up and you don't allow them to be, I I guess the right answer is powerful because you give them the power when you sit down. The reparations, I'm telling you, it's just a way to funnel money from the government, from other taxpayers, from people with money, through people that don't have money, they're going to have money, and then they're going to go and spend money on stuff. And then six months later, they'll be broke again and say, I need some more money because you're not going to teach them. The left does not want them to learn to be financially secure. They don't, because then what are you going to do? If somebody is financially secure, they tend to not vote Democrat anymore. So you need a bunch of poor people. That's why the people flooding into the system from the southern border are not the wealthy PhDs. They're not the, the master's degree, the, the, the dentists fleeing Mexico. They're not. They're, they're poors, the poorest, the least educated and often the, the biggest minorities that the left is allowing to be abused. So be careful. All right, stay with me. 888 retire I'll give you that number again when we come back. 888-997-3847. I'm Arif Halby. Stay with me. We'll be right back on the Total Financial Hour.
0: Now Arif has a plan for me. Higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably. Thanks to Arif. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arif Halabi. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour.
1: Now, hey, welcome back to the show. For me. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arif Halabi. All right, total financial hour, 888-99-RETIRE. I told you I'd give this to you one more time. Triple eight ninety nine retire 888-997-3847. Uh, you know, I talk about this reparations thing because it's getting it's starting to gain steam because the wealthy want to redistribute your money. And when I say wealthy, look, in California, there's different types of wealthy. Just like every place, right? There's those that are wealthy because they own farmland, but they're not as liquid. In other words, they don't have big cash in the bank. There are wealthy that own businesses that create cash flow every single month. There's money coming in. There's assets, things that have value. And there's wealthy that have government pensions and other pensions, other dollars that come in from various sources, including some of the fixed index annuities. Listen, we we deal with that. And there are politicians. They don't know, I I won't bring up their names, but there are those in the state of California that have become clients that are clients, and I can tell you, most of them have property, real estate, other investments outside of the state of California, because they know that it's almost like lighting a match, starting a fire, and then saying, see you guys later, I got to go, right? They pass laws for you knowing you can't afford to leave or don't want to leave, or you're not going to have three houses or two houses in Martha's Vineyard and California, Right? They know that. And so what they do is they create an opportunity for for you to have to pay their bill, because they have a pension or or investments or business money or revenue coming in. So I share that with you because when you think about just giving people money without the responsibility of being educated to handle it. So if the left was real concerned about it, here's what they would do. You know, if you're real concerned, hey, I think uh black people have been disproportionately Uh, Whatever, got it. I think anybody that's not part of the elite have been disproportionately. How do I know that? Go to Mississippi or Alabama. You'll see white people everywhere. Go to Louisiana. Go to uh, San Bernardino. uh, Head to Bakersfield. You're going to see white people that don't have anything. They don't want you to see that, though. Right? Because because whatever. It doesn't fit their narrative. So how about just human beings? How about forget the race stuff and we go across the board and we say this. We are going to teach financial literacy. It's better for the companies that are in the, in the United States. It's better for the country, healthy and strong because more revenue can flow through these people's pockets, which means more dollars to tax. It's healthier for individuals because then they can afford to things and not go into debt, right? So now the TVs, the cars, the, the, the boats, the planes, people buy, they can buy them either very short financing. Or none at all? What if you taught financial literacy with that quote reparations? And people had to graduate. They had to pass tests. Just like the eighth grade and the twelfth grade, remember? What if you taught financial literacy so that all those now, uh-oh, wait, here's what you're doing. You're putting the responsibility back on the individual's pocketbook. Right? The big corrupt organizations in the county, in the city here in Southern California is very simple. It's a lot of these Head Start programs. Oh, wait, you didn't say that. Yep. Give us your money. We're going to teach this stuff to kids. There's so much money in the poverty world, in the homeless world. There's so many dollars in the NGO, non-governmental organization world. You want an example, a more raw example? I've been to Palestine. You go into to Bethlehem area. More banks than you have ever seen in your life in one street block. Banks, like like banks. Different names. I took a picture, so I have I have a bunch of them. I won't go into the, who they are. Different banks. And you know what? I'll tell you, this was amazing. I've spent some time down on Rodeo Drive. I was a policeman down in, in uh, West LA Division where you got to kind of go through Robertson and, and Pico and just to get from one part of the city of LA to the other. Okay, yeah. Lots of Mercedes, very nice cars, in fact. Per capita and a concentration of Mercedes, Porsche, Jaguars, uh, Land Rovers. Where did I see those? Palestine. Remember, we've been giving them, <laughs> we've been giving them all those money. It's for the people. It's for the children. And you walk around and you see you see kids playing in dirt puddles. And somebody drives by them in a Range Rover. You, you ask yourself, wait a second. Didn't we just give the Palestinian Authority all this money to, quote, make the life better for other people? And what, did they just buy themselves cars? And why are there more banks per capita on this street than I've ever seen in any place in my life, including Hemet, California, which used to be the banking capital of the world. I just want you to know that. Palm Springs, yep. More banks, more money in the banks per capita than just about any place else. And a short diversion. A short, short reason why is simple. People with money would leave the cold climates, Minnesota, Minneapolis, Canada, Michigan, and they would come down to dry warmer climate. So they bring their monies with them. You need to ask yourself, if we're going to give this reparations dollars, who's going to pay the price? Because poor people will just get poorer. Because the answer to poverty is not more money. I just want you to know that that's a trick. It's a game, and if you spent ten minutes in any kind of financial uh, education, you know that it's a lie. And that's why when Newsom and his ilk say that, it drives me crazy because I know that they're telling a, a lie. I know that. Listen, you can say, "Well, the way we observe <clears throat> the way we observe the facts from our point of view is different." No, I'm going to tell you, he's a big fat liar. Yes county supervisors yes you're you're lying you know the facts you know the truth and you think you're doing it is for the betterment of other people it's it's for those little people those little pe- it's for their 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 well-being it's for the benefit of those little people you just go back and do your little thing and don't worry i'll take care of it from here i got it i got it from here and then you see a crisis in leadership why because it's a crisis ready for this encourage because the powerful group, although very small and loud can be overthrown any minute. Now the big, loud racist voices, you can say, no, we're not going to do that anymore. No, no is the answer. Sorry. No, we're not going to make it so that, uh, uh, what is it? Every public company in the state of California that has their headquarters has to have a female on their board of directors if you have more than five board of directors. What? What is this? The People's Republic of what again? How about you say, hey, you're a public company. You want to make as much money as possible, don't you? Because then you're all going to be rich. So why don't you just put the best people on your board of directors? And see, when it used to be that education was over there in those brick and ivory buildings far, far away, and they controlled who went in to get that knowledge. Sorry, wrong last name. Sorry, you don't look this way. You see, when it used to be that, I'd, ha- I'd, I'd even have a bit of an argument for you. But not anymore. Open up that little magic Google device on your phone, on your laptop, on your little fancy tablet, and guess what you do? You can learn anything about anything. So if you're telling me that those really, really smart people of whatever minority can't figure out how to do something because they won't let them into that brick and ivory building, which by the way, is controlled by Democrats, just a side note. If you're telling me that, that that's where knowledge used to be, but today it's in, it's in my back pocket or your purse or your wallet or your, your briefcase, then guess what? The playing field is level. And it goes back to the powerful Democrats, which, uh, surprise, there is no end to the diversity, equity, and inclusion. You understand that? right? Because here's what would happen. If you cared about the rights of people, then the NAACP would care about all African Americans, not Democrat African Americans. If you cared about the rights of people, then the ACLU would care about all people, not just liberal Democrats. You understand that? But those organizations that used to exist and had a purpose, well, they kind of achieved everything that they needed to achieve. They checked that box. They won. Yay, the story's over. Good job. Anything that's a problem, any any racism problem here, there, there, those are nickel and dime. Those are little things. Those are off to the side. They're one-offs. There are systems in place to go after them. This structured organization called the ACLU is no longer needed. Oh, wait a second. We have a whole life of, of trying to create revenue, uh, money, uh, my job, my pension, my 401k. So instead, they keep changing the goalposts, changing the rules. Right? So all of a sudden all of a sudden you have these organizations but but isn't it right to go after uh, you know Kyle Rittenhouse, why did they do that? That's they're violating his rights. I'm sorry, crickets. What do you mean? That doesn't happen Well, well yeah, but because he's a, a white kid who by the way, who shot white kids after he was shot at by white kids and defended himself and won in the in, in the court of the, the legal court. Uh, with a jury that didn't just have white people on it? And where was the ACLU? So you see, these organizations that existed, their lifespan, their normal lifespan, their job, the purpose of their existence, it's over. But what if they went down the road of financial literacy? What if they went down the road and said, you know what, there is a place that isn't fair anymore. The city of Los Angeles is way far disproportionately employing African-Americans, like three to one, right? You take the city, uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles, minorities, three, four to one, right? In other words, there's already a jobs program. There's already employees. You guys know it. You tell me I saw it in the city of LA. You know it when you're working with what we call a sloth or a slug. I don't know what they call it today, but Somebody who didn't do their job, who was only there to check a box. See, we have this minority, check. They really don't do their job. We have to hire somebody else to actually do their job, but, but it looks good. So they hire two people to do one person's job because one actually works and both check a box. You know it. And when you finally disseminate the jobs, when you finally disseminate the positions, when finally the media is controlled completely by the left, except for talk radio. Then what else is there to achieve? And I think really the answer is the next thing to achieve is financial literacy. What if you were to do that? What if you were to go to these young kids and you say, let me teach you about business ownership. Let me teach you how to access this information on the web. Let me teach you about uh, creating a patent or a trademark. Or let me teach you how to open a small donut shop or a muffler shop or a business of any sort. Wow. You know those people will no longer need the Democrat Party if we do that. I mean, you know that, right? Because if you tell me that I go to that restaurant and the food is good, and then you tell me, oh, but wait a second, it's owned by a male black or female black. Oh, wait a second. What? You think people are going to stop going? No, nobody cares anymore. People go. Wait, wait, wait. I, I don't. I don't care about that. The food is amazing, right? You say it's owned by a minority. Uh, the computer repair shop. That I don't. So what? It's the Democrats. It's the racist Democrats. And I'm going to tell you, it is. Oh, Eric, there was a white supremacist once. I heard this white supremacist talk. Oh, really? Of course. Of course, there's white supremacists. There's black supremacists. There's Hispanic supremacists. There's Russian supremacists. <laughs> what? Uh, you think I'm kidding? Ask a Korean if they think, or a Japanese if they think they're the they're the uh, most superior race. Ask the Chinese if they're the most superior culture. You don't think every culture has people within it that think that they're smarter than the next? The Persians, the Egyptians, the Lebanese. Of course, the the German. Of course they do. A little bit of nationalism is good. I want them to to think that they have a great leg up. And if every country focused on what they are great at, and every country is great at something, I don't know if you understand that, but they are. Right, Whether it's engineering or, or medicine or science or the law, every country, every nationality, every people has a place that they excel at. And surprise, in today's world, today's culture everybody can excel at everything if here's the big thing put in the effort and you have the aptitude so even if i put in the effort to be a concert pianist i want you to know i can never figure that out i just can't now listen can you teach me to play mary had a little lamb probably i could do that maybe after six months but will i ever be a concert pianist no i can put in the effort i don't have the aptitude so some individuals, yeah, not groups, surprise, individuals, will not put in the, ap- uh, the, the effort. They don't have the aptitude. It's not their skill set, right? I'm never going to be six four. I just won't be. Don't expect me to play in any basketball game ever. Not going to happen. I don't have, I, I can try all day long. I have a relative who's brilliant at basketball, but he's never going to be tall enough to play probably even in college. Just not going to happen. Because that is not that—that's not available to him. There isn't a uh, a league under five foot six, right? There, maybe there is, but nobody wants to watch it. If they do, promise you, somebody will put it on TV and they'll make money. So my point is, you guys—you got to stop treating people in groups, individuals. Because the effort at the end of the day, when you take money from from people that are working and you give it to people that aren't working, they will soon not have that money again. It's gone. Six weeks, six months, a year. Can you say lotto winners? I have three lotto winners as clients. One of them came to me after their second bankruptcy. You understand that? It happens. It's just like, and I have letters, uh, client letters I'm going to read to you a little later uh, rather listener letters and i think you'll be surprised because it focuses on money that was received but not earned because when a good person gets something they don't deserve they do different things with it right they don't they don't always do what you would think right so so for example why does a lotto winner blow their money and often die, right? I mean, you see it, die tragic deaths. They get robbed and divorces and all sorts of legal problems. Why? Because they were never taught how to handle that kind of money. So you're going to give somebody who's lived in the ghetto with cockroaches climbing on them or somebody who has no clue how money works. You're going to give somebody who hates everybody, who who's lives in this world of, of uh, oppression and victimhood. And now you're going to give them $200,000, two hundred and fifty, whatever. What do you think they're going to do with it? You think they're going to OD by the weekend? You think they're going to make the political contributors wealthy? You think they're going to buy what, what green juice or, or healthy foods? Probably not. Because you haven't taught them financial literacy. Now, some people have no desire to learn financial literacy. And the reason is simple. It's because everything else is done for them. Why do I have to do that? I just know on the first of the month, my next check comes. I just know I get that little card and I get to go to the grocery store and buy whatever I want, right? When you make it easy to be poor, when you make it easy to be lazy, guess what? People, many people choose it and it is not related to race. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's called human nature. So the left job is to separate you. And you have to prepare for yourself. And if you do, look, are there racists on the left? Yes. Racists on the right? Yes. Racists black? Racists? Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Bad guys, bad guys, bad guys. Of course. But how many of you know this? Ready for this? Ooh, I love this one. How many of you know that the NRA, National Rifle Association, was created because African Americans were denied their right, their Second Amendment right to carry a firearm? And Democrats in the South, political leaders, didn't want African Americans to own firearms. So what did they do? They created all these little rules, these little tests. You had to pay this fee. And it was more than they could afford because they were struggling or helping their families. And they made it so difficult that nobody, many, would not pass the test. So the NRA came along and said, hey, you're violating the rights of all Americans. You said they're Americans. If you say they're Americans, then this applies to them. If this applies to them, then it applies to everybody. So the NRA was created. Why do you think the left hates it so much? It isn't because it has anything to do with, quote, white supremacists getting firearms Uh, um, illegal uh, citizens getting firearms. No, no, no. It has to do with very simple, good people having firearms. Because you see, bad guys will always have them, whether you make it legal or not. I don't know if this is a surprise to you. There will always, there's 400 million known firearms in the United States. If the gun was invented last month and we could say, whoa, 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 Maybe we should start limiting it. Uh, Yeah, the country was founded and people had bows and arrows. Got it, got it. And this whole new gun, we're going to regulate the daylights out of it. I would probably be for it. I would say, you know, listen, it's a brand new technology. We don't know how people are going to react. It was invented last month. Let's take it slow. I would be with you. But now, 250 years later, as a nation and as, as as a people of trying to create, we have 400 million guns. And when the left lies to you and says, oh, but they didn't have howitzers. There wasn't this AK-47 and AR-15. They didn't exist back then. So they were talking about muskets. Everybody could have a musket. I'd say, great. Then your First Amendment right is only applicable to newspapers. Not television, not radio, and not the internet. Because you know, when the founders did it, they didn't expect everybody to have a radio in their car. They didn't even know you had a car. They didn't expect everybody to have an information device in their back pocket. And the First uh, First Amendment doesn't apply to this thing called the nightly news, because there was no such thing as the nightly news. There were newspapers, town criers, and newspapers. So if you're going to say that about uh, about the Second Amendment, which is well, firearms didn't, uh, you know, everybody can have a musket. Then you have to say that about the First Amendment, which is we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the nightly news. We didn't have radio, TV, on and on, right? So be very clear about this. That's why the Supreme Court is supposed to be there. Listen, I think they've slacked off. I I wish Clarence Thomas another decade of life healthy, happy, strong, I pray, because he's a strong man, he's a good man. And we need him because he gets it. He gets it from a point of view of being a a poor person growing up in the United States, struggling with racism, struggling with uh, diversity issues and on and on. And yet he still decided, chose, ready for this, chose to be successful. And chose to not be a victim. So anyway, I just, I just, the more I learn about Clarence Thomas and his life, the, the more I adore that guy. I, I that man is incredible. Also, the more I, I'm disappointed in our Chief Justice, but that's another story. All right. So when it comes to making sure you are prepared, that's what financial literacy is all about, right? I mean, all of us can learn a little bit more every day. That's why there's business news channels and a million websites based on financial literacy and books, my word, can you get another book out there on financial literacy? They're everywhere. But here's what I want you to do. triple eight ninety nine retire Give us a call. You can come to one of our seminars if you want. We have uh, workshops and seminars. A lot of financial people do this, it's fine. I think you should learn a little bit. But if you like us, our philosophy, what we stand for. If you want to make sure that you have some or part of your money protected, giving you reliable retirement income that is predictable, that is incredible, where you never have to worry about running out of, of money, then that's what we're here for. 888-99-RETIRED. That's nine nine I'm Arif Hallaby. Stay with me. Your letter's coming up next. Kind of a sad one, but in the end, I think you're going to find an amazing story when we come back. Really look forward to it. This email is uh, incredible. You want to give me an email? You want to send me one? Of course, you can do it at araf at tfswealth.com, A-R-I-F at tfswealth.com. Stay tuned. Your emails are next. Now
0: every dollar's got a job to do. Arup makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi.
1: Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arif Halby, the Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future, and that's what it's all about. Look, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things today uh, when it comes to your emails. Let me give you the the address one more time. It's triple... Uh, <laughs> the address. The address is Arif at tfswealth.com. That's Arif, A-R-I-F, At tfswealth.com. Okay, very important you understand this. In the world of financial literacy, right, there's, when it comes to numbers and money, there's two things that happen. There's there's the formal, formal education, right? We understand that. Going to school, reading a book, taking a class online, there's the formal. Then there's the informal. And when I say informal, I don't just mean what you gather by, osmosis, right? Hearing how your parents manage money. Sometimes when you come into my office, one of the questions I ask is, what did your parents do for a living? And you might go, well, that's kind of a weird question. No, 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 because that's what you called normal, right? If dad had a government job or a big company job, left work at 5.30, was home by six, dinner at 6.30, your two week vacation, your holidays, then you call that normal and stable. If dad was successful at it, you know, in other words, There wasn't a layoff every other month and it wasn't uh, stressful for the family. But if dad and mom had jobs that were secure and government working and those kinds of things where you had to punch your boss to get fired, and in many cases, it just meant you got promoted, right? If that was the normal back then, then what would happen is simple. That's what you called normal. And so to be an entrepreneur would be weird. To learn about taking care of your own financial life and not expect a pension someday is uncomfortable. So often your point of view is more than just the formal books and classes, but it's the informal. It's the stuff you get uh, just by osmosis. Uh, it's harder to explain it any other way, except I guess observation. Maybe that's a better word, right? Observation and experience. When you have observations and experience that counter the idea of being you know, successful financially or every day, your mom and dad would say things like, "Stop being greedy. It's not about the money. It's not about the money. Stop focusing on money." Right then, then you start to think money is bad. Right. So if I came on and I said, "Hi, welcome to the Total Financial Hour," and I started speaking about, "Oh, sorry, I, I almost was late to the show because you know uh, the talk about whatever race, women drivers, and male this and men that, and just started being a bigot." on the air, I would expect most of you to flip the station. Flip, flip, flip. Next. This guy's a racist, not interested. This guy's a bigot, not interested. But if I came on the air or spoke to you in a group setting and I started saying, oh, sorry about it. It took a bit to find a parking space because you know how those people are with Mercedes. (laughs) You know that lady with the, the hair and boy, she had her little Louis Vuitton purse. and Oh, you know those people. Right? And all you did is make fun of people with wealth or put them down or, or said they were dirty or ugly, right? Because that's the way you grew up. That was the observation and experience. Then by the time it comes for you to be successful, why would you want to be somebody that you despise? Why would you ever want to reach for the stars of something that you felt was dirty or bad? So do you see the dichotomy here, the, 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 this contrast that you and I have in life, when your experience says money bad, rich people dirty, right? When that's the normal, and then you say, and by the way, don't you want to be rich too? Like, no, thank you, not interested. Oh, but what do you mean? Didn't you want to have success? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. But that means I got promoted three times at the government job, not just twice. Because your idea of wealth and money is not a positive one. Now, change it around a little bit. Now, you grew up in a family where you say, oh, hey, kids, we're going to another ball, another uh, fundraiser. Oh, really, mom and dad, what are you guys doing? Well, we're trying to raise money for the hospital. We got the Smiths and the Joneses, and and they have some extra cash, and we're trying to convince them to, to donate money so we can have a wing of the hospital specifically for children underprivileged, no financial means, children that have cleft palates could actually get surgery for free. Now money is good, isn't it? Hey kids, we're going to this fundraiser because we want to raise money for scholarships for kids whose parents or mom or dad died in the war or law enforcement whose dad, mom were killed on the job. Money is good. So do you see your personal experience with money can dictate whether or not you ever have success? It doesn't matter how much money I pour down your, your avenue, right, or give, down, uh, give to you. It doesn't matter how much money you get, inheritance or, or wealth transfer of any sort, government reparations. It doesn't matter. Look, if California does the reparations, you heard me talk about it, I would tell you it's the beginning of the end of the, of the United States of America, because there are other states that are not going to put up with it, just not going to. And they'll look to secede, and there will be groups of states, half, maybe more, that'll say, no, thank you. If you don't think, if California starts doing this, that there's a 25-year lifespan left pushed by places like China, because... A disunited states is much more valuable to them than a United States. So that is an important thing to think about, right? The discontent, the push for racism. In fact, you can go back to the KGB files after the fall of the Soviet Union. They spent a lot of time in the university and college world talking about and manufacturing and really uh, emphasizing in some cases, the racial disparity, the racial tensions. That was part of their job. That was part of the KGB's job was to gin up this racial divide because it kept the United States focusing somewhere else. And they knew, just like in in Soviet Union, when you gave somebody a job because their father was so-and-so, not because of their capability, you diminished the value of that role. Just like if you give somebody a job in the United States with a city, county, state, because of their race, not because of their capability, you diminish the value, the importance, and frankly, the security of that job in the country. Instead of saying you're the best person for the job. Right? You you heard me talk about this. I I have been, I've sat next to police officers in in my car, right, my partners and, and some of my trainees, and they'll tell you, They wished it didn't exist because they thought they could have qualified on their own. And they said today and forever, no matter what job they receive, everybody's going to look at them and say they're only here because of their race. And they thought that was such an unfair opportunity. They would prefer that it be a higher, bigger struggle. And then to get there and people go, wow, this guy must be really, really, really good. As opposed to, hey, my parents are these people. So because of that, I'm these people. And I'm there because of my race. I'm a minority. It diminishes the value. What a, what a miserable curse to have on the person who busted their tail, who worked their tail off, right? To become something, only to get it because of something that they couldn't control. Not their hard work, not their effort. So that's a shame. All right, let me give you our phone number one more time and then we we'll to get to this email here. Phone number, triple eight ninety nine 99 retire 888-997-3847, 888 retire Okay, here's what I have, guys. It's an email from Kathy. I'm a divorced woman with no kids who's dealing with a great amount of loss. Both my father and my brother passed away in the last year, and I'm 51 years old, and I have a career where I earn over $150,000 a year. So I don't need any of the $400,000 that I recently inherited. The money I inherited came from the sale of my father's house, that's 150000 and the work retirement account from my brother, which is 240000 I like my job, and I plan on working at least another 15 years. But here's my problem. I can't help but feel The money that I have received from my dad and my brother is blood money. It feels dirty. I don't want it. And I feel ashamed that I even have it. I don't want to use it or spend it on anything. I have my own retirement accounts, about $600,000, and my job provides a pension. Some days I feel like just giving it all away to various pet charities and pet rescues. Any thoughts or ideas? Kathy. You guys understand this, right? A 51-year-old lady without any kids. She's divorced. And both her father and her brother passed away. There's a little, always, as I mentioned, a little bit more to the letter. I usually keep it you know, narrowed down for the sake of the, the show. But they both passed away within a year of each other. Uh, sorry, within months of each other, all in the same year. And so it's pretty, pretty scary, pretty sad. She does talk about how she enjoys her pets and pet charities. That's why that's in there. So here's what I recommend. Let's see how we can turn this around. What if we created an account that grows for the next, let's say, 8 or 10 years? right? So by that time, she's 51, so 61 years old, 60, 60 to 61 years old. And ready for this? we can create an account where the interest itself comes out on a monthly basis, but beginning in 10 years from now. And the job of that money is to support a charity or a nonprofit. She can donate money in her brother's name and her dad's name. She can create a rescue for dogs or cats, whatever her, her uh, desire is. And what's most important in this, she can sit on the boards, she can create a uh, make a difference, create policy and procedure that allows her, this is amazing, to have a financial influence forever on these accounts. Forever. So there's some rules though. The rules are a little bit different. Let's think about this. Her brother's account is $240,000 and it came from a retirement account. Now, under current law, when you inherit, when you're not a spouse right? Husband or wife, you're not a spouse, and you inherit a retirement account from somebody, you have to withdraw everything in 10 years. So you don't have to take everything out in equal payments, not a little bit, a lot, but you do have to have it all down to zero, 10 years and 10 minutes. Okay, important. So this buys us a little time to have it grow. And then I would have those funds start coming out and giving her money, but wait, it raises her taxes because she's in a pretty high tax bracket. We have her max out the contributions into her retirement account. So in other words, let's say she makes $150,000. She wants to put $30,000 into her retirement account, but she can take $30,000 out of this account. So her taxes are one step forward, one step back, no changes, right? $30,000. Goes out, so now she's at 120, she's right back at 30,000 pulling it out of this account, for example. But how are we going to support a charity with that? Well, once, you reach, once she reaches 59 and a half years old, she can begin to withdraw money from that retirement account that she pushed all of these extra funds into. But now it's based on her life and her scenario. That is one way now of course we're going to meet with her CPA I would sit down and have her have a conversation with her uh, tax attorney if she needs one right the coordination between these folks but the ideas now are starting to kind of take hold you can learn about nonprofits between now and then learn how they work find out which ones you want to support you can look deeper there are a few really good um, Charity watch sites called uh, charitywatch.org, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Charity Navigator, I think, is another one. But go ahead and research. How do I find out if this charity is a good one? If they do what they say, if they spend the money properly. There are uh, charities out there that that, that they have to report. There's a report each and every year. They might be a year behind because they do get a little bit of a delay. They get a little favor to, to be a little bit behind. But it's an accounting of the the financial wherewithal of the board the administrators right for example american red cross pays their ceo millions of dollars private jets i think in fact there were two private jets that they fly around the world so when you give money to the red cross you're giving you're paying their gas bill so think twice Right? Take a look around. See if the charity is is doing what you want it to do, what you expect it to do. All right, so that's important. But here, what if she was to invest some of this with her own retirement account, right? She maxes that out, puts the full fund there. Then she creates various other accounts. Like what if she had an index universal life insurance policy? All right, wait a second. What's that all about? Well, we could take a big part of the amount of money she inherited from the sale of her father's house, put that into an account that grows tax-deferred. When she pulls it out, it's tax-free, and she can make the charity the beneficiary of a life insurance policy. So the big chunk of money that's available, if she were to pass away, gives her time to figure out if this is the right charity. She can change it. You can change it anytime you want but that $150,000, well, that probably would uh, uh, from the father's house, that would probably be something like oh I'm going to guess but let's say 6 or 700,000 in life insurance, maybe something like that. So now she was able to take her dad's money and exponentially have it available for a nonprofit or a charity that benefits dogs and rescues and And you can have five charities. It doesn't matter. You can separate it out. But she can use those funds for something good. She may not need it for her own life. She's got a... a, Sounds like a great job, a great income. Good retirement account at her age. Good job. Keep it up. But she can now push these funds down the avenue of what's called an indexed universal life. Now, there are some good ones and there's some not so good ones. Let me be clear on this. How they are built... Can change everything. They can be built where the fees and expenses are very high, meaning it benefits the agent, the life insurance company. They can be built so the fees and expenses are very low, which benefits you. That is how we build them. We squish down the. It's called uh, you know it's a technical term. Squish. <laughs> we bring down the cost to to the maximum. There's a legal maximum that it, uh, minimum rather that it can be in. It's called the MEC. Modified endowment contract, don't worry about it. So we bring it down to that mech level so that the costs are as low as legally allowed so that most of the money goes into that account. And then over time, you can take money out if you want. You can use it to live on if you need it. Things change, maybe you need it. You can leave the beneficiary of the life insurance, the death benefit, to the charity. So 150,000 might buy 500 or 600,000 in death benefit. Now, of course, it's subject to her health. So if she's healthy and, and you know reasonably healthy, you don't have to be perfect, but, but reasonably healthy, she could end up making a huge difference. And ready for this, put it into her trust, where the name of the. Uh, of the, I don't want to say scholarship, but the, the donation is under her dad's name or her brother's name. So you can make it so that your brother or your dad in either case becomes the one that are the receiver of these funds. Now that can make all the difference in the world, right? It It turns this from blood money and, right? There are people that inherit a car, It was in great condition, but they were so ashamed to ever drive it because they felt like they got something they didn't deserve, and they park it in their garage or in the driveway, and it just deteriorates, weather, time, right? A horse is meant to be ridden, a car is meant to be driven, and if you don't do those things, they start to deteriorate. And so, in her particular case, what if we did it that way? And here's the other part. One of the options could be to own rental property, just like the management of your retirement account. What if you had somebody manage or or you manage, learn how to manage rental property? It's another source of income for you in retirement. And again, you can have the trust be the owner of it. So when you pass away, your real estate is sold and given to the charity, whatever the value is at that time. It's another option, isn't it? But the key is between now and the eight or nine or 10 years from now is for you to be educated, learn about nonprofits, sit on boards, decide what what you like and don't like, right? Some charities say that they do certain things and you get there and you're like, you don't, they don't really do that. Say that they make a difference. Well, they really just make three people rich at the top. There are a lot of nonprofits. Now, I think you need to understand a couple of things. In the world of nonprofit, it does not mean not making money, right? You, you know that. It just means the entity, the corporation doesn't make money. It doesn't mean you don't make money. It doesn't mean you don't have amazing benefits because that's what they do, right? Nonprofits do something very interesting. Nonprofits can buy anything they want, almost, within reason and realistically it's just about everything anyway it's a little bit of a game that they play but nonprofits can funnel the dollars instead of the corporation making any money they just make it in the form of benefits that's it they give amazing retirement plans to the people they give incredible amounts of uh health insurance benefits and and retirement benefits, cars, uh, travel. I, I mean, you can go on and on. Whatever you think it can be, whatever you want it to be, that's what they do. That's what they can do. Okay, so very important you realize that. Nonprofit doesn't mean anything when it comes to, oh, that poor baby. So you have to research it. Charity Navigator, I believe Charity uh, Watch, They both are pretty good organizations, but do your research, pull the data, see what it means, see how they can cover up. This isn't the right show to get into the details of how charities can can sneakily or cover up or phony up numbers because they can do that. Uh, If you want to be wealthy, start a charity, right? Who was it? There was two people. I think it was uh, a religious leader of the last century made it very clear. If you want to be rich, start a religion. And he did. And others will say, if you want to be rich, start a charity. So, but Kathy, I do like the idea uh, of you putting money aside. Folks, your emails matter because it, uh, I'll tell you this, when we have a series of ideas and concepts that come through over and over and over questions, where I really find people kind of leaning down the road of, I don't deserve the money, it's almost going to sound odd. I see it more frequently with actually really good people, good people, but uneducated. Meaning you're a good person. You work hard. Unlike last hour, who was very, uh, when I, when I made it very clear that if you give somebody something for nothing, they'll be broken, no time at all. Right. And that's what will happen. It's happening to people on a regular basis. It happens to people when they, win the lotto. But if you're a good person and you inherit money, I think you, I, I think you feel like you don't deserve it. And that's a completely natural feeling. What we do is different. When you sit down with me, we sit down and we come up with a plan to make it so that the benefit of this inheritance, I don't want to say windfall, but we sit down with the idea in mind that doesn't it make sense to honor the person who passed away? Because remember this, if they save their money, they save their money so that one day they would use it. So think of it like this. You're walking through the desert on this journey and you each are carrying your own items. And somebody gets to the point and they say, I'm sorry, I can't go on anymore. It's, it's done. I, I've made all the money I can make. My health is over. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand this off to you, and that's what they do. And they stop. And now you're carrying yours, but you're also carrying theirs. The money that you inherit has a much different moral, ethical, strategic, uh, legal, tax status. It, it has sometimes a completely different uh, way of treating it. And if you don't do it right, you could get into legal trouble, you could get into tax trouble. But I have found that most of the good people that I know that inherit money, their biggest concern is not, oh, I'm going to blow it. It's that I don't deserve to to receive it. And I want to encourage you guys this pretty important, that you are in a position to now carry the person's burden, their money. And if you don't do good things with it, I think you end up being somebody who, who is sad, right? I think you get to the place where you have more and more legal responsibilities and you feel like you don't deserve it. All right, enough of that. I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, make a decision of how much money you want to keep at risk. When it comes to your personal savings and retirement accounts... How much money can you afford to lose? That's what you should have in the market. So if you say I can afford to lose $100,000, then probably don't have any more than 200,000 in the market. Right? Because 200 could easily become 100. We've seen that over and over again, especially if you select the wrong stocks. So, when that's the case, then you say the rest of it I need safe and protected. Now, if you're 34 years old or 45 years old and you have 20, 25 years before you need the money, you can take a lot greater risk, can't you? But if you're within three years of retirement, five years of retirement, eh, you might want to keep it safe. When we come back, I'm going to share with you an email that we received. And I think, well, most of you are going to relate when we come back on the Total Financial Hour. I'm Arif Hallaby. 888 99 retire. That's 888 997 997
0: 3847. We'll be right back. I retired comfortably thanks to Arab Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total. security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. The Total Financial Hour. Now, higher income strategies. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn
1: about financial. Hey, welcome back. To total financial Thanks for staying with me. The Total Financial Hour. Arab Halabi. Triple eight ninety nine. Retire. 888-997-3847. At the first hour, we talked about reparations and some of the things that are happening uh, down that road. Some of you have already sent us some emails uh, about it. I appreciate your comments. Uh, there's there's one of you that, that thinks that it's a good idea. Uh, I understand that. Listen, there, there's a guilt part of all of us. But as Dr. Laura says, and I, I love to quote her because I think by and, lar- by and large, she's right most of the time. Right, oh, but what about that one time she said the, hello. She's a human being. You think she's not going to say something wrong? Just like you. So listen to me for just a second. Of course, I think she's right most of the time. Here's why. She said, people say, I feel guilty about, she goes, ooh, what did you do? Well, I didn't do anything, but I feel guilty about, oh, well, you're supposed to feel guilty. That's called a human being. When you do something, when you don't do something, you're not supposed to feel guilty. You didn't do anything or not do something, right? Sometimes you're guilty for not doing something. When you, not, when you don't do something or when you do do something, of course you're supposed to feel bad. But here's the bottom line, guys: explain to me something. What did you do uh, 200 years ago? I, I don't know the answer to that. probably nothing, I hope. So when it comes so uh, referencing the, one, the email, and maybe some of you feel this way, I get it: there are injustice and inequalities. I understand. It's everywhere. But you tell me when the NBA is going to go through and say, all right, we're going to have uh, two male blacks, one Asian, and two male whites. That's what's going to be on the, the court at any one time. And if you take out a male black, fine, you can put in a male Hispanic. You want equity and inclusion? Why don't you do that in sports? I know some of you are trying to do that, putting men inside women's sports. Oh, a completely different show. I'm putting together a great show for that. Because it's the same people, it's the same people, the Democrats, that try to dilute who you are as a person. They try to dilute and go after women, they try to dilute and go after minorities, and now they're doing it with this transgender thing. Another show, but I want you to pay attention to this. If you're telling me that it is about equity and inclusion and diversity, then you need to go through sports, you need to put a little 5 foot 5 guy, 160 pounds as a lineman for the Chargers. That's what you have to do. Because otherwise, what is it? Only big muscular people get a chance to go there. And ever since well, who was it? Probably Michael Vick, I think he was one of the first black quarterbacks. Today there are way more black quarterbacks in the NFL than there are percentage of populations in the United States. So so are, what are we supposed to do? Now you're going to go after them? Or are or you going to say, wait, there's too many, there's not enough white people on the basketball courts? So we're going to go after that? Oh, no, you don't. Why? Because that's sports. You see, if you tell me that corporations are ugly and greedy son of a guns, then the next breath you say, and women are paid 70% of what a man makes, if you believe those two things. Then the third breath, ready for this? Ergo, therefore, corporations should only be hiring women because they're greedy son of a guns and they can get them for 70% less, which means, guess what? More profit. And if they're greedy son of a guns for more profit, then don't you think they would run around and only hire women because they can get them on the cheap? Right? Uh, I mean, I I don't know how you can have it both ways. Either you can have it one way or you have it the other way. Well, it's much more complicated than that. It has to be. Because if it isn't more complicated, the reason for these organizations existing goes away. Right? There, there is no reason for the NAACP to exist if its job is to advance all colored people. Now, if its job is to advance only Democrat colored people, fine, then it's going to keep existing. I have plenty of friends and family that are minorities who will tell you that organization absolutely does not represent them. In fact, they're embarrassed. Yes, embarrassed. So I need you to understand this, guys. If you don't stand up, because there are much, much more of you, but you're afraid of being called a racist, right? They don't even have to throw a punch or, or, or throw a rock your way or do anything. All they have to do is say, racist... Bigot, homophobe, transphobe, hope, phobe, phobe. And you sit there, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. I'll sit back down in my chair. I'll self-deprecate. Do you have a a whip that I can self-flagellate while I'm here? I I just need to do that just to to make sure because I feel guilty, guilty, bad. Really guilty and bad that I worked so hard, that I went to school, that I gave up this and gave up that. You see, once we've achieved certain things in our society, once we achieved minorities as a president of the United States and as a vice president of the United States, once we achieved all those things, these organizations should say, and we're done. We're going to focus on other things. But instead, they have to keep reinventing themselves. Because now the problem isn't we don't have male blacks as generals in the whatever or police chiefs in the whatever or the mayors of the whatever. No, no, no. Now it's about what? things that you can't see or touch. It's systemic. It's underneath. And if you can't see it, and if you don't know it's there, you must be the biggest racist of all. So everybody is like, yes, of course, the king has no clothes. Look at him. And if you don't see it, if you don't say it, well, then you must be more of a bigot than I've ever imagined. That is exactly what they do. And I don't think you guys, myself, others, I don't think we get that part. I think what you think is happening is just the opposite. I think what you think is happening is that the world is getting better and it isn't because they will never, ever be an end because they started, they played that game. They tried it. They got to the place where they said, and if we only had a minority as a president, if we only had a female as somebody with the experience of, okay, we did it. And then who did the Democrats put in? And he has to keep telling you these stories. These fake President Biden has to keep telling you these fake stories of Amtrak and of his time in the Scranton, Pennsylvania. Because he has to keep reminding you he's one of them. Why? Because he has set up, he and his people have set up this whole narrative that old white people and white people are racist and white people this, and he is one of them. So he has to set up this whole narrative. By the way, I'm not one of them. Remind you, I'm not one of them. And so you look at it, and you you have to tell yourself, okay, well, he's the leader of our pack, right? Just like the leader of this. <laughs> you guys don't even know this. Some of you maybe. The leader of the white supremacist movement, the Oath Keepers, brotherhoods, da 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 da, is a male black, right? So. So they're, but they're trying to say, don't worry about it. Larry Elder, white face, uh, the black face of white supremacy. And nobody laughed these people out of town. Nobody shut down CNN news people. Nobody went to them and said, you guys are just nuttier than a $3 bill. You guys are wacky. Nobody said that. Everybody went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When Biden tells the lie again and again, everybody goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But at least he's representing our side. Okay, so then it's not about truth. It's about manipulation. I'm all right. As long as we're playing the same game. But you keep changing the rules. So maybe we're not okay. All right. And these people manipulate your retirement accounts. They manipulate your money. They do. Right? Just watch anything that has to do with how corrupt Hunter Biden is, Joe Biden, I still think he's done. I think he's done before Labor Day of this year. Now, many of you, like myself, are scared to death of who's coming up next. I'll tell you what I thought. You know, it's one of the theories I floated. Look, I'm not right everywhere. I'm not right all the time. I, I float my ideas, my theories, some some concepts. See, I think they set up from the beginning to put Kamala Harris... Remember, minority, female minority, female black, as a Supreme Court justice. Remember that? I think they set up from the beginning, put her in as vice president, get elected, and then give her the job as a Supreme Court justice, right? We set it up that way so that from the beginning, we knew that it it was going to be her. We set it up and then put in somebody else, maybe even Michelle Obama. A lot of talk about her. I don't know. If she has that desire or not, we'll see. And then Biden would step down. And then the Obamas would be president again. And they would go down this road all over again. right? Or Hillary Clinton, somebody. But I think here's what happened. I, I think Kamala Harris smelled blood in the water. I think she said, mm, I'm going to take my chance and be president of the United States. I can always come back around and be a Supreme Court justice. But president of the United States, mm, I think... I. I think I have a pretty good shot. I don't think this guy's going to make it four years. And I believe she, she turned down their offer. And I think that really upset the Obamas. Well, I know it did. I can't tell you how I know, but I know the Obamas were very upset. I know the Obamas were very angry at Kamala Harris. And that's why they keep relegating her to some stupid job that she's not even doing at all, right? Making her look sillier and sillier. That's why Biden continues to come out if you don't think that his own party is behind trying to diminish his mental capacity now that the midterms are over, that's their goal. Their goal is to kind of minimize him, get rid of him, move him over to the side because they know he can't handle a debate and there's not going to be another COVID to make it so he can sit in a basement. So we'll see what happens. All right. What's happening with the with the market and your retirement account? So important Important because this is a very very big deal. Your retirement account. Many of you have bought into this idea. Now this is Diane. Sent me this email. Dear Arif, we want off of this roller coaster ride. We didn't sign up for the financial headache in retirement that we had when we were first starting out and raising kids. Back then we struggled because we uh, because that's what we thought we were supposed to do. Both of us worked two jobs and decided that we would delay having a family until we were more financially secure. When we decided to start having a family, one of us stayed home, and that was me. The constant struggle to balance the books at home while my husband provided for the family was an ever-challenging one that I remember all too well. When the day came that we started seeing the financial light on the horizon, I knew our hard work would pay off. Fast forward to our retirement years, and it feels like we are slipping Backwards. Now I'm going to pause there for a second, guys. Does that feel like you? Does it feel like you were once secure and now you're going backwards? If so, maybe we can help. Continuing with Diane's email. So, Arif, can you help us figure out how to get off this roller coaster and return to peace of mind that we once knew? Between the recent sale of our rental property and my husband's work retirement account, we have about 1.1 million dollars saved. He has a pension, and we both have Social Security. Together, that is about eight thousand dollars a month. We were using our retirement money to take certain trips with the grandchildren and give us both extra peace of mind that we would be cared for in our future when it comes to our healthcare needs. But our broker, listen to this, guys. Ready for this? Listen to this. But our broker has lost us three hundred thousand dollars. In the last year, he has a title of vice president, so I thought he was special, maybe even more knowledgeable than most. However, now I know that everybody there is a vice president or a secretary. There is nobody in between. It seems like they just hand out titles to everybody these days. Am I the only one that has lost $300,000 to a title? It has cost me dearly. Can you help? Diane. All right. Guys, let's be clear on a couple of things. You name the company, you name the two letter financial brokerage firm. Okay. And that's what they have. Everybody is a vice president. In fact, one particular firm's hiring practices works this way. They hire a bunch of new brokers and they come in. Let's just say there are five of them. And there is a manager, supervisor, trainer. And that manager's job is to train these five people and teach them And they have, let's say, six months. Whoever has the most amount of investment dollars through cold calling and family, etc. Whoever has the most investment dollars under their portfolio out of the five gets to keep their job. The other four, their dollars, roll up to the trainer. So that manager, that trainer, gets all of those assets under management minus the person's family. And those other four are fired. So what happens to that one who had the most amount of assets amongst the others? They're given a title. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Vice president. So everybody there is either new, a secretary or vice president. In fact, there's even another company that the moment you start, you're called a vice president. And people will say, well, uh, Arif, uh, you know, I work with the vice president at uh, Morgan Schwab James, and uh, the vice president says, I'm like, okay, first of all, everybody's a vice president. I don't mean that the person isn't good. Maybe they are. But the title cost Diane $300,000 because she put trust into somebody who said, don't worry, your money is safe. $300,000. How long do you think it took for them to make $300,000? 2 years? Four years? You see, Wall Street always gets paid. Let's be clear on this, right? When Ken Fisher had his, uh, you know, mouth mistake, as they say, he said something really dumb and got caught. They banished him for a year or two. No more advertising. They pulled all of his advertisements, pulled his name off of places, cities, and counties, and companies were pulling billions and billions. I think six, eight, ten billion dollars were removed from Fisher Investments. Gone. Public information. I'm not saying anything out of school. It's just what happened. And then they figured enough time would go by, and people would forget. So he starts popping up on Fox Business. He starts showing up on another commercial. Because he thinks he's paid the price. And maybe he did. Maybe he should have never gone away. I don't know. But you see, Wall Street's job is not about taking care of you. They're they're saying, which is, we do better when you do better. Oh my gosh, do you not understand what that means? We take more of your money when we make you money, but we still take your money when we lose your money. Let me say that again. Brokers take money when they lose your money. I don't know what their job is. Their job is not to make you money because if it was, they would only get paid if, guess what, they made you money. So people will compare. Well, you only, I only lost 100000 when my f- friend Susie lost three hundred. Okay. If that's your if that's your barometer, you can have some of your money at risk. I'm okay with that. That's up to you. You it's a personal decision. But don't have it be in a place where you think it's not it, it is something that it isn't. Right? You have to know that. The titles are marketing tools. That's all they are. Okay. Now, Diane, let's be clear on a couple of things. Yes, we can help. I would segment out the money because it has to be segmented out into two, at least two different places. One of those is the sale of the rental property. That is what's called a post-tax money. You cannot combine that with retirement assets, two different accounts. They can be in the exact same place, but they have two different tax treatments. So no matter what, they will be two separate accounts. One is retirement One is post-tax money. We call it non-qualified. Same idea. All right. So the taxation of those dollars, when you pull the money out to live on, your CPA or tax preparer should give you a number. This year, you can take out from your retirement accounts X amount of dollars. That'll take you to the next tax bracket. I don't want you to go over it. But, Arif, we want to live on more money. Fine. You pull from your post-tax money. Pull from the principal from your money from the sale of the house, the rental property, right? Sale of rental property money has already been taxed. So you should never pay income tax on that money ever again. The print, the, the, the principal, the interest. Yes, but not the principal. So the money you put in is never taxed again, but on the retirement side, every dollar you pull out is a taxable event. So I don't want you to think, oh, well, the dollars that are coming out of both accounts are treated the same. They're not. They might be in the same type of account. But here's what I would do. When you're pulling money out of the retirement account, Diane, you guys should be taking it out up to the next tax bracket. And that is a conversation with you and your CPA. So everybody, I want you to do this. You're going to meet with your tax preparer, of course, to do your taxes in February or March. Never wait till April. Because they are human beings. They get overwhelmed. Sometimes they procrastinate. Sometimes many, many people wait till the last minute and the the poor tax preparers are are working seven days a week, 12, 15-hour days, right? I don't want you to be part of that. Get in the sooner, the better, okay? Very important you do that, I think. And then I want you to meet with them again, right? After April comes and goes, mid-April is done. Usually they take a month off and go to Hawaii or they go somewhere and and, uh, decompress, all right? So that's May. So meet with them again in June or July and maybe again in October, October, November, let's say so that you can see am i on track do i need to make adjustments everybody should be doing this maybe it's a phone call maybe it's a 2 hour meeting depending on your situation but i do want you to be meeting at least once but twice would be better in addition to the normal time you do your taxes cuz when you go to perform your taxes uh, you know get them done it's it's a busy time there's not a lot of time to discuss strategy there's not a lot of time to discuss different very, you know, various accounts, those kinds of things. For our clients, we go with you if you want us to. Certainly I'm on the phone with your CPAs regular and as often as you want. And our job is simple. It's to go and have a conversation with them, see if there's things that I can do, right? Doing this for 27 years, I know a lot of the basics, but I always want to have the CPA's eyes on it. I always want to know the CPA's strategies. See if in your particular case, we need to make some adjustments, but because we all talk the same language, that's a pretty important value for you. Your financial professional should never be charging you a fee for those things. I don't think, right? That's my, we're already paid on this stuff. Just know that we're paid on everything all the time. Anyway, I just don't want you to get to, to have somebody get paid and then lose your money because then what the heck are you paying them for? It's ridiculous. ridiculous. Right? It's like going into a restaurant, just because you walked into the restaurant, ordered food, you didn't eat it, and, and you left. Oh, wait, you're supposed to pay for it? Yeah, but you didn't eat it. Yeah, but I walked into the restaurant. The broker's holding my account, but, but isn't he supposed to make you money? You follow me? All right. Important you know that. All right. So when it comes to Social Security, that's the other part that some of us don't know about. Social Security has taxation uh, of the dollars, but it's in kind of brackets, Okay, you need to know that. So, if you earn husband and wife taxable between the two of you more than, I think it's about 43,000 a year, then you're going to pay taxes on that uh, on your social security. 85% of your social security is subject to income tax. Here's the trade-off though. They only count half of your social security in that formula. So, half of your social security plus all of your taxable income. That is how they come up with that formula of 43,000. So the idea is to stay below that number. That's why there's a little bit of calculations done because it includes interest that you earn on your CDs uh, at the bank. It includes savings accounts, stock bond, uh, uh, capital gains and dividends and on and on. So it's all sources of taxable income, including some of your tax-free bonds that you think you have. Okay, so... Your CPA, your tax preparer can sit down, go over this with you, see where you fit, and say, all right, you can withdraw from your retirement account $40,000 or $15,000, whatever it might be. Or just no. you might say, well, it's still not enough. I need $50,000 for this amazing trip we're doing, taking all the kids, grandkids on a cruise this year. I need $50,000. right, we just have to be prepared to pay taxes on the 50000 so, you just manage it properly, right? You just know that it's coming, plan and prepare so that there aren't any surprises. But, Diane, one of your questions, or maybe I guess you asked it a couple of times, is Can I help get you out of this roller coaster ride? And the answer is yes, we absolutely can. 888 997 3847. That's 888 99 retire. 888 997 3847. Why that matters is simple. Because you guys have to realize that you don't have to have your money at risk anymore. You know, when you're young, you're supposed to take chances. When you're young, that's when you swing for the fence, right? You give it your best shot. That When you're young, you can, you know, like me, right? You can sleep in your car if you have to. You can take quick little baths in gas station bathrooms. You can do what you have to do along the way uh, to, to, to manage your financial life, work two jobs, make a mistake, fix it, Right, my parents were always there for me. You have a plan B, a backup. The older we get, we can't take those kinds of risks, can we? That's why you might want safety as part of your portfolio, reasonable rates of return, and reliable retirement income. That's what we do. I'm Eric Hallaby, The Total Financial Hour. Thanks for being part of the show. We'll be back next week. Your place for news, talk, and information. AM eight seventy. The answer
0: retire comfortably thanks to Araf Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Araf makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial power. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour.